Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Good morning. We are in Philippians chapter 4 today. And while you are turning there, I do want to let you know this sermon is on contentment. And I understand that that is not necessarily exciting at first when you hear that. You know, maybe spiritual warfare or something might be exciting. Contentment, eh, maybe you're thinking that's not that exciting of a sermon. But I think that deep down inside all of our hearts, we want contentment in this life. And we want contentment in every situation and circumstance that we find ourselves. And the gospel is the answer to find contentment. So even though it doesn't sound exciting, uh, I trust that our exposure to God's word will help us to see that this is really what we want in life. So Philippians chapter 4, let's pray before we begin. Father, you are the king of the nations. We've been singing about it. We've been singing about how every aspect of our life is to point to your greatness And I pray that that would happen this morning as we look at your word, that we would all leave here renewed, God, in the gospel, that we would leave here a people who find contentment in any and every situation because we are so free in the gospel. God, I pray that we would leave here a church today who do live lives that point to your greatness and that your glory would go on display through this church Help us now, fill us with your spirit, give us eyes to see wonderful things out of your word, and may Jesus be honored. In his name we pray, amen. Well, the title to this sermon, The Rare Jewel of Gospel Contentment, is adapted from the title of a book by a Puritan pastor, Jeremiah Burroughs. Burroughs was born in 1599 and died in 1646. The title of his book was The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. He based his 200-page book on uh, Philippians 4.11, which says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 200 pages. That's how the Puritans rolled back then. You take one little verse and you write 200 pages of very small print and you've got this entire book. That's why I love them. Because they're geniuses. Take one verse and write 200 pages on it. Uh, amazing. Um, as we talk about it, I'll be quoting from Burroughs a lot on, on contentment, but later on today, uh, Lord willing, if my email reminder reminds me, um, I'll put up a PDF, a link to a free PDF of Burroughs' book if you would like to read more about contentment after being exposed to God's word this morning. So check that later on today. Today we're going to see how the gospel can provide contentment to disciples in any and every situation. But as the title of the sermon suggests, gospel contentment is a rare jewel. Not many disciples in this world have learned the secret to gospel contentment. But it's possible. It's available to all. Here's how Jeremiah Burroughs defined contentment. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposition in every condition. 
I'm not sure I've ever been content in my life based on his definition. Listen to it again. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to, think about the situation you're in right now, that freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposition in every condition. True contentment, he says, gospel contentment, Christian contentment, submits to God's design and how he's orchestrating every detail of your life and it delights in it because it's coming from a wise, good, heavenly father. Again, I'm not sure I've ever been content in my life based on his definition, but it's possible Gospel contentment is a rare jewel because most of us find our contentment in outer, external things and not the internal disposition of a peaceful heart, a heart that is full of peace. This connected to last week, we talked about the peace of God. We can have the peace of God, and then Paul said the God of peace would come to you. Don't let the chapter, I mean the paragraph divisions confuse you here. Gospel contentment comes from people whose hearts are at peace with God and they have the peace of God and they have the God of peace. So don't make that break there in the paragraph. See the connection there. Uh, Burroughs also described contentment as, he described it as a sick man who can never be warm, who has to go to a fire to warm his body. But he says a healthy man, even though he puts his clothes on in the morning and they're cold at first, it's his internal body heat that keeps him warm all day long. He doesn't have to go to the fire to get warmth like the sick man who can't produce that natural body heat that he needs. But the healthy man puts his clothes on, they're cold in the morning, but he has warmth throughout the day. Christian contentment, gospel contentment comes from the inside. But many of us only find contentment when we think of the things that are happening on the outside of our lives. When things are going well, well, then I'm content. When things are fine, I'm content. Gospel contentment comes from the inside, not the outside. That's why gospel contentment is rare. But my prayer is that by God's grace, we'll leave here today with a little bit more hope and maybe a little bit more of the gospel in our heart that we would learn to find contentment, not in our circumstances, but in Jesus Christ. And because we have contentment in Jesus Christ and who he is for us, then we can be content in the situations and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. The main truth that we'll see today is this. Gospel contentment leads to God-ordained, gospel-centered action. Gospel contentment that comes from the heart, from inside, from the gospel message, it leads to God-ordained, gospel-centered action. When you are content in your heart and content in the gospel, you'll be moved to action, to love and serve others. When you are content with all that God is for you in Jesus, you will begin to see how God sovereignly orchestrates opportunities for you to give and to help others. And then you will begin to give and help others because you have all you need in Jesus. You are free from hoarding things for yourselves, hoarding your money, hoarding your gifts, hoarding your time. The gospel frees you to serve others. And that's what we'll see in the life of Paul today 
in these verses and in the life of the Philippians. Look at verse 10 with me. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Notice Paul returns to the theme of rejoicing here. Joy has been a theme of this letter. The the title to our series of Philippians is Joy Unleashed. So it's fitting for Paul to come back to the theme of joy again. But notice, he's not calling the Philippians to joy here. He's not calling them to rejoice. He did that in Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He did it in Philippians 4.4, where he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But here, this is his heart exploding joy. This is his heart just going forth with joy, bursting out. See, the gospel that has tied Paul and the Philippians together has now caused his heart to rejoice. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. The word greatly is the Greek word mega. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to see what Paul is saying here. Mega. He says, my rejoicing, my joy is mega. I am rejoicing big time. This isn't just, oh, I'm Thank you, Lord. It's, thank you, Lord. My heart is rejoicing big time. Mega. But why is Paul's joy mega here? Why is Paul rejoicing big time? Why is his joy unleashed? Notice the word that there. This signals the reason why Paul was rejoicing big time. He says, I'm rejoicing that you have renewed your concern for me. The Philippians' participation in gospel ministry with Paul has brought about his rejoicing. He's in gospel fellowship with him, which he'll mention. He'll use the word fellowship, koinonia. We'll see it next week in verses 14 and 15. He'll use it two times. But he's saying, I'm rejoicing big time because you have joined me. We are united in gospel fellowship. But how did they participate with Paul in fellowship? It was through financial giving. They wired Paul some money. Actually, they sent Epaphroditus, who was delivering the letter of uh, Philippians to Paul, and they probably gave him a bag of money and maybe some you know, little cards and, and cookies and things like that. But they took money to Paul. You may be thinking, well, of course Paul's going to rejoice. They showed up with a stack of Benjamins. They gave him a whole bunch of money. Don't you think he's going to rejoice when he gets that? But look closely here. Paul doesn't even mention money. He doesn't even bring up the money. He doesn't want to. That's not his focus. He just says, you have revived your concern for me. He could have said, you revived your concern for me when you gave me a bunch of cash, but he doesn't say that. He says, you have revived your concern for me. He won't even mention money. Instead of focusing on their checks and focusing on their cash, He focuses on their concern for him. Their financial gift was proof of their care for him. It was an overflow of the love that they had for the Apostle Paul. The Philippians' financial gift flowed out of their commitment to the gospel. So Paul says their concern for him was revived. This word revived was, was a rare uh, Greek word. It's only used here in the New Testament. In Paul's day, it was used of trees or, or bushes that would put out fresh shoots or fresh flowers in the springtime. As they, as they began to bud in the springtime, Paul says, I am rejoicing because your care and your concern for me has blossomed once again. You care for me. 
And I see it. It's blossomed. Because when Epaphroditus showed up with the gifts that you sent, it was proof that your love for me was blossoming once again. Worth noting too here is the actual word concern. It's used two times here in this verse. It means to think a given way and to act on it. It's that Greek word phreneo that we've seen over 10 times in the, in the book of Philippians. To think a given way and to act on it. Paul is saying that they thought a, giving, a given way. They had gospel-centered thoughts. They had rehearsed the gospel and it produced contentment, which then led to their act of giving financially to Paul. Their focus was on Paul getting, helping Paul get the gospel message out. So that's what he says in verse 10. To paraphrase, look, I know you guys are concerned for me. You had no opportunity to show your concern, but now you have through Epaphroditus. You saw the opportunity and you came through with it. Remember, they were separated by many, many miles. Their blossoming concern through financial help was evidence that gospel contentment leads to God-ordained gospel-centered action. Because the Philippians were centered on the gospel and they were content with Jesus, they then were made aware that God had provided and ordained an opportunity for them to give and it led to their gospel-centered action of giving to Paul's ministry. Understand the pattern here. Gospel contentment. When you are content with all that God is for you in Jesus and you think, I have everything I need. They can take my home. They can take my car. They can take my family. They can take everything away from me. I am content with Jesus. When you understand that and you are content in the gospel message, your eyes open up. You're not looking at yourself anymore. Your eyes open up and you are aware that God has sovereignly opened doors for you to give and to help others. And when you see that, then you act on it. Gospel contentment in the heart opens your eyes to see the needs of others and it gives you the power to act on it. That's what's happening here with the Philippians. They were content in the gospel. They knew that Paul had a need and they said, let's send Epaphroditus to help him out. So what this means is that if we are content in the gospel, if it consumes our thoughts, if it's our passion in life and not the accumulation of things and stuff, then we will notice opportunities that God places before us that he ordains and it will lead to the gospel-centered action of giving and helping others financially. If we're not consumed by and content with the gospel, then we won't notice all of the doors that God is opening up for us to give and help others and we won't follow through on that action. We won't be moved to action. Gospel contentment leads to God-ordained, gospel-centered action. And notice again, Paul doesn't even mention the financial gift. His focus is on their care and thoughtful concern. He's not going to mention the cash. It's all about their care. They saw an opportunity and they met it. Understand this, you have numerous opportunities here to have your concern for others and the gospel to blossom here at Grace through serving, giving financially, praying for others. The opportunities for your concern for people here at Grace and this city and the nations of the world to blossom are everywhere. There are opportunities everywhere for you to give of your time and your talents and your treasures. But if you're not content in the gospel, when you read your bulletin and it says we need somebody to serve, you'll have blinders on. You won't see it. 
But if you're content in Jesus and you say, he's everything that I need, then you'll read that in the bulletin and say, oh, they need somebody to serve here. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give up my time. And you'll be moved to action because you'll realize that God has sovereignly given you an opportunity to serve. There are many opportunities here for your concern for this church and this city and this world to blossom. But you will never act upon them unless you are content in your heart. And when you get content in your heart, it'll open your eyes to see how God is orchestrating all of these ways for you to serve other people. Gospel contentment leads to God-ordained, gospel-centered action. Look at verse 11. Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be, br- be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, Paul's not focusing on their money. He is quick to point out that he's not in dire financial need. He's not rejoicing because he was flat broke and they wired him some money. He gives the reason in verse 11 why he is not bringing up his financial needs. Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, or in other words, not that I'm flat broke, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. See the word for? It's signaling the ground or the reason why Paul is not speaking about rejoicing that they gave him money. The reason Paul doesn't speak about his need is because he has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Look at verse 12 again. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul has learned the secret of gospel contentment, the rare jewel of gospel contentment. Paul has learned it. He is satisfied with where God has placed him in his life. And remember where he's at as he's writing this letter. He's in prison in Rome on death row. A man on death row who maybe even before he finishes his letter and signs his name may have his head chopped off is saying, you know what, I've learned to be content in every situation. How is that possible? It's because of all that God the Father is for him and his son Jesus Christ. And he appropriates that truth by the Spirit of God. And he says, you know, I can be content if I'm in prison or if they let me go. Notice he says he knows a few things. In verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low. That He means I know what it is to scrape the bottom of the barrel. Last Sunday night, Greg mentioned, if you were here in the service, that in December of 1995, he was getting married. I think that's correct. Is that right? December of 1995, when Greg and Donna were getting married, do you want to know where I was? I stayed behind in a college dorm over Christmas break with a friend of mine from Canada, and we survived on ramen noodles, grilled cheese, and hot dogs. So as Greg was celebrating and rejoicing in life, I was eating the same three things every day. Because we didn't have many things we could cook with back in the cafeteria was closed. I think that's what Paul's saying here. I know how to be brought low. I know how it is to survive on ramen noodles and hot dogs and grilled cheese. But then he says, I know how to abound. This is that word that we saw in Philippians 1.9 where Paul prayed that their love would overflow the set boundaries and go all over the place. He says, I know how to abound. I know how it is to be bubbling over financially, to have plenty of clothes to wear. 
Paul says, I know what it is to not have to live check to check. I remember seeing a story a few years ago on then single quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, Troy Aikman, and this reporter was interviewing him and in his house as they were filming wanted to look inside his fridge and she said can i look inside your refrigerator he's a bachelor opens it up there was nothing in his refrigerator nothing because troy aikman he told her he said i eat out at restaurants every single night every single day i don't ever have people that buy things for me Paul says, I know how it is to abound. I know how it is to eat out every single meal at a nice restaurant and not even have to bother buying groceries. And he says, I also know what it's like to live like a college student who's just scraping by. Between the two extremes being brought low and abounding, Paul says, I have learned the secret. He says in verse 12, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and want. This word plenty is used of the fattening of animals in Revelation 19 or satisfying the needs of a hungry crowd in Matthew 14. Paul knows what it is, what it's like to have cash money in his pocket. And he knows what it's like to have jack squat and to have nothing But what did Paul do in each of these situations? The abounding and the being brought low. Look at verse 12 again. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's learned the secret of being content. Contentment is not a spiritual gift. It's a secret. It's a mystery that must be learned. That means that in order to learn how to be content in any and every situation and circumstance, the Lord must sovereignly direct and orchestrate our lives to go through the experiences of having plenty and having nothing. Okay, that implies two things. One, if you are experiencing a time of being brought low or hunger or need, then God wants you to learn to be content only in the gospel in your time of going without. If you're going through a hardship right now, you say, I'm brought low. Before God pulls you out of that situation, he wants you to be content in the gospel message. And if you're experiencing a time of abounding or facing plenty or a time of abundance, then God wants you to learn to be content only in the gospel during your time of plenty. You would say, even though I don't have to worry about anything financially, that's not where my hope is. I am content in the gospel message and who God the Father is for me and his son Jesus Christ. And I appropriate that truth by the spirit of God. Jeremiah Burroughs says, contentment in every condition is a great art, a spiritual mystery. It is to be learned and to be learned as a mystery. You learn contentment in any and every situation like the Apostle Paul as you rehearse the gospel in any and every situation. And you remember that to have Jesus Christ is to have everything that you will ever need. Now, what's the secret to be learned? The secret is this, that by the grace of Jesus, you can endure any situation. That's the secret that Paul's talking about. The secret to be learned is that by the grace of God, you can endure any situation. Look at verse 13. You all know this verse. You have to know this verse if you're a Christian. I think it's like the first verse you have to memorize. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Everybody knows that verse, right? 
I know we like to quote this verse a lot, but contextually, Paul is speaking about being able to survive any situation regardless of his financial status. He's not giving us a Bible verse to put in our, you know, uh, locker room as we go out and play a football or basketball game to see it up there and to kind of hit the wall on the way out and say, I, you know, to your team, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Paul's not talking about playing football here. He's not talking about evil Knievel quoting this verse as he jumps across the Grand Canyon on a motorcycle. I know we like to use the verse for that, but Paul's not talking about that. Paul's talking about going through severe hardship and troubles and saying, I can do it because Christ is strengthening me. Again, Jeremiah Burroughs says, I find a sufficiency of satisfaction in my own heart through the grace of Christ that is in me. Though I have not outward comforts and worldly conveniences to supply my necessities, yet I have a sufficient portion between Christ and my soul abundantly to satisfy me in every condition. Paul is saying that by God's grace, he can endure any situation because Jesus is strengthening him. He can find contentment in any situation. He's not even saying, Jesus is going to give me the strength to make it through this. He's saying, I'm going to find contentment in this situation because Jesus is going to give me the strength to make it through there. The word strengthens here is a present tense participle in the Greek. It suggests this ongoing activity. Paul is saying, Jesus is giving me strength continually to endure every situation in my life and to empower me to be content in the middle of any and every situation that I'm in. Contentment is a secret to be learned for everyone at Grace. If you're single and you're saying, I just want to be married, why isn't it happening? God wants you to find contentment in the gospel, in your situation, and to trust him. Maybe you're in a marriage and you're not content. God wants you to find contentment in the gospel and contentment in and with your spouse and your spouse alone. Parents, the workplace, the church life, God wants us to find contentment here at Grace and not get caught up with the color of the carpet and things like that, but to rejoice in the gospel. The application can extend to every area of life. Even though Paul's talking about going through the hardship of being in prison and going without financially, the application is every situation in life. We can find contentment because Christ is continually strengthening us. So what do you do if you're going through a hardship? And I know many of you, there are people in this church body who are going through very extreme, hard situations. Maybe you're married to a very difficult spouse who doesn't love the Lord. Maybe you're in a hard work situation. Whatever it is that you're going through and you don't understand the the hardship and the circumstances and the situations that God has placed you in and you feel overwhelmed and say, I cannot do it. My word to you is trust him. Trust your heavenly Father. This is where the doctrine of God's sovereignty comes in to buoy you up. People say, I don't want to have anything to do with doctrine and theology. I need doctrine and theology when I'm going through a hardship. I need to be reminded of the doctrine of God's sovereignty, that he is in control of everything and is orchestrating every detail of my life. I need that. I need the doctrine of God's goodness, that he's a good and gracious God. And if you're going through a hardship, you need to embrace and hold on to the doctrine of God's goodness. And you need to hold on to the doctrine of God's wisdom. 
that in his fatherly wisdom, he is orchestrating every single detail of your life. And you need to trust him for that. When the times are hard and you need to remember that God will purpose in and through whatever he is allowing in your life to bring you good and to bring him glory. You need to preach that to yourself. God is going to purpose through this situation for my good. He's going to purpose in and through this situation to bring himself glory. And you must remind yourself of that and preach that to yourself. And you may not see it in this life, but I promise you, one day you will stand before him and he will lay out your life before you. And he'll say, this is what I was doing in your life when you were going through what you were going through. And let me show you how it was working for your good and for the good of your family and the good of your church and for my glory. And he will roll, if you will, a scroll out and let you see all the arrows and the diagrams pointing to all the people that were being affected and how he was getting glory in every situation because of what was happening in your life with one particular situation. And when you see what he was doing, even though you don't see it now, you see it then, you will fall on your face and you will worship him and you will say, you are infinitely wise and infinitely good and infinitely sovereign. And if I could go back and live it over again, knowing you were doing those things, I would go now because it brings you glory. So trust him. Trust him as you go through the times of need and want and the hardships and ask him to give you grace to find contentment in the gospel message. See, gospel contentment leads to God-ordained, gospel-centered action. Paul is saying that he can be content in every God-ordained, sovereignly orchestrated event of his life because Jesus is constantly giving him the strength to endure. Because Paul is content in the gospel, he can focus on other people's needs and be moved to action by the power of Jesus. Let me say it again. Paul is saying he can be content in every God-ordained, sovereignly orchestrated event of his life because Jesus Christ is constantly giving him the strength to endure. Because Paul is content in the gospel, he can focus on other people's needs, not his own, and be moved to action by the power of Jesus. That will preach, won't it? We can learn to have a gospel-centered contentment in every situation if we derive our strength from the Lord. And that will then free us up to get our eyes off of ourselves and to see the needs of others and then to be moved to action. But understand this, though. Paul is not saying that just because he is content and continually empowered by Christ that he doesn't need the financial gifts of the Philippians. He does. He's not saying, I'm content, empowered by Christ, your gift is unnecessary. He's not unappreciative of their gifts. He's very grateful. In fact, people would have, would have had to bring him food and things. So he's not saying, I'm content, I'm strengthened by Jesus, I'm not going to ask anybody to bring me lunch. Because he was in prison, couldn't go get it. He's not saying that. But next week, we'll see why Paul is so happy and rejoicing big time that the Philippians were giving financially to him. But you've got to wait till next week to find out the reason why he's so happy. But here's where the rubber meets the road for us. God ordains both the plenty and the hunger, the being brought low and the abounding, the abundance and the need. God orchestrates all of these in our lives. 
So if God is the one who orchestrates all of the things that happen in our life, then God is the one who will give you the strength to endure whatever situation he has graciously placed you in. If God is orchestrating every detail of your life and he has you where he has you for a reason, he is the one who can give you the strength to go through what he has put you in, what he has allowed to happen in your life. He provides the action and the strength in his God-ordained circumstance. He provides the contentment in the gospel, in the situation that he's put you in or that he's allowed to take place in your life. Remember the pattern with the Philippians? Gospel contentment made them aware that God had sovereignly opened a door for them to give financially to Paul. So they acted on it and they sent Epaphroditus. The same pattern was true for Paul. Paul was content in the gospel. This made him aware that God had opened a door for him to give and to serve the Philippians. So Paul acted on it. Now, where do I get that? Go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, and we will see that Paul has actually already been living out this truth that he's explaining. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul knows that his imprisonment is actually advancing the gospel in Rome. Then in Philippians 1, 21 through 26, Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain is to go and be with Jesus. To live is Christ, he says, is to stay and to minister to the, to the Philippians, to work for their progress and joy in the faith, he says. So Paul was content in the gospel, even though he's on death row. And because he was so free in the gospel and content in his circumstances, he was free to serve the Philippian church by writing this letter, So living and doing ministry for Paul meant ministering to the Philippian church. See, gospel contentment for Paul led to this God-ordained, gospel-centered action. He opened up his eyes and he says, Epaphroditus is here. I'm going to write a letter and give it to him and send it back to him to minister to the Philippians because he was content in the gospel. There was no, woe is me. There was no, oh, Epaphroditus, it's so terrible in this cell. I'm chained to this rock. There's feces and urine everywhere. Oh, woe is me. I don't have a change of clothes. I'm hungry. No, there was none of that. He says, you know what, Epaphroditus, I'm content here. I've been wearing the same clothes for several weeks. I stink. There's probably urine and feces on the ground. But you know what? You're heading back to Philippi. Go get me some parchment and a pen. And let me write you a letter to take back to them. He was content in the gospel. So his eyes were opened up of, oh, I could write them a letter and send it back with Epaphroditus. See the pattern? Find contentment in your situation. Now, hear me though. Some of you are wondering, does this mean that, for instance, if you hate your job, that you can't look for another one? I hate my job. I can't ever look for another one. No, that's not what it's saying. Send out the applications, pray, etc. And if God opens the doors, great. If not, find contentment. So don't hear me saying that you're to be frozen and paralyzed and never do anything in your circumstances. Do your part and trust God. But gospel contentment will free you to get your eyes off of yourself and your needs and it will enable you to open your eyes to see how God has sovereignly placed you where you are. And then content with where God has ordained for you to be, you will see that he has placed people in your life and you can begin giving to them and serving them. That's convicting. It's convicting as I preach it. 
We are all so selfish and we want to be served. We want our needs to be met. But gospel contentment removes our self-absorption with money, gifts, talents, all these things that we have that we want to use on ourselves, And it actually frees us to see God-ordained opportunities to serve others for the sake of the gospel. That's why Jeremiah Burroughs titled his book The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment because contentment is a rare jewel. May God give us grace to find joy in the gospel, to be content, and that it would propel us to give financially to this church, to others, to missions, and to serve others for the sake of the gospel. I'm reminded of a prayer out of Colossians 1 where Paul writes to them. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Some of you are going through very difficult circumstances and that's my prayer for you, that God would strengthen you with his infinite power to find endurance to go through it and patience with joy. Let's pray. Father, what a convicting paragraph in your word. And though my heart isn't drawn to contentment when I think about it, God, it is what my heart wants at its core. I want to find my contentment in the gospel. I want to stop being so selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed. I want you to come smash the mirrors that surround me so that I see the other people on the other side. Would you help us as a church, help me, Father, to find contentment in the gospel message so that then we're free to open our eyes and say, look who you brought into my life. I want to serve them. Would you move us to action because we're so moved by the action of your son through his life and death and resurrection. Help us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.